Bonjour, hello, and happy Monday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 11 of Pick Up the Blitz. We're so excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, We're going to start off with, as usual, our weekly trip around the gridiron. We're going to talk about coaches being let back into facilities, about a couple of rules, uh, rules changes rather that didn't pass, new initiatives. And then, of course, we're going to get into our divisional breakdown series. We're in week five this week. And we're going to be talking about the AFC West. But before we get into anything football-related, uh, we just want to take a moment to acknowledge the recent events that have been happening in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, as a football-centric podcast, we feel really fortunate to be in a position where we can bring just a little bit of light into what have been very dark and turbulent times in the U.S. Um, but, you know, we're in a position in the medium that we participate in and with the topic that we talk about that we can opt out of any kind of political conversation. And while we do want to talk mostly about football, um, the world is obviously going through some really challenging times and there are things that are broken. And the first step to fixing that is by acknowledging that there are things that are wrong. And so we just wanted to take a second to acknowledge what's been going on. Um, all of us can very confidently say that you know we stand by peace and we stand by equality and we stand by all of those morals and ethics um, that we feel are really important. And so we just wanted to start off today's podcast by by saying that we see what's happening and that we, we wanted to acknowledge uh, before we get into the fun football-related stuff. So with that preamble out of the way, um, let's get right into our Around the Gridiron segment. Let's Let's first start with coaches now being allowed to enter facilities. Now this this is sounds sort of not so big and if in fact if you told us a year ago that, you know, coaches entering facilities in the middle of May was going to be a big topic, I think everybody would have laughed. But Ian Rappaport actually broke the story that the hope and plan according to a memo from Roger Goodell is that coaches will be allowed to enter into facilities sometime this week. Now, this won't happen unless all 32 teams are able to do it per state and local laws. And for players, Goodell said that he hopes some players will be able to make it to the facilities by the end of the summer. Guys, I, I think this is huge. I think it's huge for the sports world globally. I think it's huge for American sports and certainly huge for the NFL. I want to know how you guys think players are going to react to not just this decision for coaches to enter facilities, but this is obviously the first step to playing in these conditions. So we talked a lot about having stadiums with no fans in them. We've talked about measures where people are tested more frequently. But do we think guys are going to be resistant to playing due to this COVID-19 world we live in? Obviously, there's very close contact in football. It's sweaty. There's a lot of exchange. And so what do we, what do we think the players are going to feel about playing in these types of conditions? I think it's very tricky. Um, you know, I would say the vast majority of players are going to be okay with with playing if they feel as though the um, the owners are taking whatever precautionary measures they need to take to make sure that people are going to be safe. Um, you know, I think the the one thing that is benefiting the NFL over all other sports is that their season doesn't start for another couple of months. So they have a lot more time to kind of figure things out. Uh, when it, when you consider like the MLB, the NBA, um, they're kind of, you know, stuck in the thick of things and they, they don't really have a, 
you know, it's harder for them because they should be doing their stuff right now. The NFL has still a couple of months to kind of see how things go. And obviously you want to put in plan it. You, you want to hope for the best, prepare for the worst kind of thing. So that's what the, I'm kind of reading this as. Uh, when it comes to the players, I, I would assume, I think it's safe to assume that the majority of people are going to be okay going back and playing as long as everyone's safe. But it wouldn't shock me if a couple of uh, players here and there just say, listen, I'm you know, we, we've seen reports that COVID has different effects on um, on African-Americans than they do on other types of people um, or other uh, races. Right. Um, so there's that there's that potential threat that some of these people might feel as though they are more vulnerable in this world and they might not want to put their life on the line to play football. Right. You know, I, I've actually connected a couple of our conversations to different soccer topics because I think it's pretty safe to say that people know if they've been listening that I like soccer as well. And I follow soccer teams, uh, Chelsea, who's the team I support in the premier league. One of their midfielders, uh, midfielders in Golo Conte, great player, uh, world cup winner for France, um, quality player on the field. He doesn't want to go back to training because he's he's afraid. He's terrified that he's going to get sick, and he's worried about what that could mean for him. Um, and, you know, Chelsea, as the organization, has said, you know, we understand. Do what you have to do. Take care of yourself first. And the players have all rallied around him. It wouldn't be surprising to me to see one or two players in the NFL not feeling comfortable going back uh, because of the added risk that the sport itself kind of presents to contracting this virus. I, th- I think it's certainly possible, but just as you said there, you said one or two, I think it's going to be very few players where that happens because, listen, a lot of these guys need to get paid, and if you don't play, you're probably not getting paid if the league is starting and running and going. You know, if, if football can't be played, who knows what's going to happen with these contracts, but right now, it looks like there'll probably be football come the fall, um, so I think it's certainly possible that some guys back out, but if there are any, it's going to be very, very few. Um I think it's probably even more likely that if there's any players who back it, it'll be the guys who've already made some money and who have a little bit less on the line and who could wait it out a year without getting their paycheck. Um, in terms of the coaches going back in, it's it's a great it's great news. Listen, it's a, it's a good step um, towards things becoming somewhat normal in these these football facilities. And like um, like Ian Rapport reported for NFL Network, it's like light at the end of the tunnel, and it's it's uh, hopefully things can continue to progress in this in this fashion. So one piece of news that I wasn't as excited for as I was to hear this about the coaches entering facilities is that the owners didn't pass the 4th and 15 onside kick alternative. Um, The owners actually were split 16 to 16 on the issue, which I actually, I'm happy to hear that because it means that there was certainly some traction there, and I think that's great. Um, They tabled the initiative for the next meeting, and the reasons why they didn't pass for the 16 that didn't, per NFL.com's Joey Batista, was that some owners felt the initiative was too gimmicky, and others felt that the 26.7% success rate of 4th and 15 last year is too high, so trailing teams can come back too easily. Now, that line of thinking, I think, is really interesting, and I also think it's a little bit oxymoronic in a way, because while that may be true, that there may be the better opportunity for teams to come back, For all parties involved, be it ad share and revenue for the league, be it the length of the game and how long ads can be run on television for TV deals, um, be it fan interest in the game, as we know offense drives fan viewership, as the owners, I'm surprised that they were against the idea of having trailing teams come back because, if anything, potentially 
it provides more viewership and more revenue coming in because people love watching offense. So I'm just curious, guys, A, what you think of some of the analysis provided here in terms of the owner's decision-making, and B, if we think that this initiative will pass at some point. Yeah, Judy Batista has, has pretty regularly been one of those plugged-in reporters who, who knows what's going on in the owner's circles. She's always there at these league meetings, able to provide that analysis and that perspective. Um, one thing that you did see on NFL Network and ESPN over the past couple of days is that these owners are going back to their teams with these proposals and saying to their coaches, what do you think about this? What do you think how it affects our team, our chances of winning? You know, how do you think this will affect gameplay? Is this something the players would be for? Is this something your coaching staff would be for? Um, and it seems that a lot of coaches are a little bit worried because, you know, you work so hard all game to build a lead and you don't want to see it evaporate in a couple of minutes. I think there were a couple of coaches who have already come out and say something, have said something to that effect. Um, and so I'm not shocked that it didn't pass. I think what they'll do over the next year or two is try to come up with some sort of um, lower chance alternative because, let's, let, I mean, let's think about this in terms of an example. If you saw the Chiefs, who we already know can evaporate leads like, you know, like that, and they were down two scores, and you, can, you could do this, you could do this thing, uh, the 4th and 15, I think they said you'd be able to do it twice per game. If they were down two or three scores, and they were able to get all two or three of those scores in without letting the other team even touch the ball, and they had a 25% chance of doing that, it'd be frustrating for the opposing team and for opposing fans. It, I love the idea. I love the idea of more offense. I love the idea of more exciting plays, especially because the onside kick chances are so low. But I think it makes sense that they're looking for something with a little bit of a lower chance uh, to be successful. But weren't, wasn't the part of the proposal that they would only be able to do this a set amount of times in a game? Twice. So if right, so, theoretically, so it's not like the Chiefs are. It's not like the Chiefs are going to have the ball literally the entire game. They would have to turn it over. No, of course. Right? I mean, and I mean, gamesmanship more like in the would quarter. also. Right, and I can see, I can see that as well. Um, where once you, you know, to try and get the odds, I, I get that, but I don't know. I just, I don't see it being, you know, if the if the Chiefs score and they're up right and they elect to go with a fourth and 15 and they don't get it right that means you actually are making it easier for the other team to put points on the board because oh, like are we, we talking about, about teams who are up no now, no so i mean this i first like i was a supporter when we talked about this rule last week i i was excited about it and i'm I, i'm still a supporter of something to this effect i just more meant i could see the reason they didn't do it I didn't mean if they were up. I more meant if the Chiefs are. That's less, interesting. Like, it's it, an interesting it, thought, though. It, I didn't know you don't, could do that theoretically. You can, but I don't see many teams if they're up Probably choosing not. to I go don't, for a I don't see them team. doing that either. I more meant like let's say the Chiefs are are in a game, and I'm just picking the Chiefs because I know Patrick Mahomes could convert fourth and fifteens pretty, pretty easily, um, or as relatively easy as speaking. relatively as easy as anyone else. If the Chiefs are down two scores, with six minutes to go or seven minutes to go, and by the time you get to the end of the game. The other team hasn't touched the ball yet because they've converted one or two of these fourth and fifteens, and now the Chiefs are winning. Like that would be very disheartening to a team that had spent all game building a two-score lead on the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm just saying I could see why there's opposition in but, that regard. But you have to play at sixty minutes of a football game for sure. Yeah, well, so that convert like if you think about the other side, like imagine how exciting it would be. You're down two scores. The Chiefs then can again. The Chiefs we're just talking about are something like somebody about like the Ravens, who's just an exciting explosive offense, right? can come back if they've saved those two fourth and 15 opportunities and potentially make it a playable game for both parties. Like, yes, for sure, it's disheartening for the team that loses if it's not, you know, the Chiefs. But 
I think in so many ways, specifically from a revenue perspective, like you have people turning off games when they're two or three scores apart. If you can keep eyeballs on the TV, I'm just surprised, and I would have loved to know what the breakdown of... I don't know if we have access to seeing which owners voted which way, it's but it would have been very wasn't interesting. A vote. That's, why, that, that's why they tabled it, because it wasn't a formal vote. It was like apparently some sort of straw poll that they took okay. um, of the owners. Because then it would be interesting. Are we talking about good pass. teams? Are we talking about... Like, what, what yeah. kind of teams are we talking about? And that, I think, would be very indicative of how we think the success rate would play. That's so funny you say it's that. It's very interesting. It's funny you say that, because one of the owners, apparently, according to... I think it was according to Batista, actually made a remark and said teams with Hall of Fame quarterbacks should not be allowed to vote for this proposal because those are the teams that are going to benefit by far the most, which I thought was uh, a comical response. Um, Do we know who said that? I, I don't, was just I don't know if it was. specified the owner. I could, I could try to take a uh, look. But I would, see, that would it would just be, be so interesting. interesting. Be interesting. Regardless, again, I like, I, I like the idea of the rule for sure, and I think it has tons of merits, and I would be very, sh- I would be shocked if over the next year or two we didn't see some form or fashion of this rule come back to the league meeting uh, to be voted on again, because it, it really does just um, amplify excitement at the end of the game, which, which of course, is, is what they're trying to do here. I'm curious about what you guys think about the other reaction to the rule, though, that plenty of owners Hold have on, said uh, it's too gimmicky. What do okay, you think so I was, about that? Uh, before, before we go to that, I, I, I'll, I'll answer that, but... You know, I've been trying to find what percentage uh, of onside kicks are actually successful. And basically, it's onside kicks are just not successful. Like, it's, I'm seeing various uh, percentages ranging from like 6% success rate to 13% success rate outside of a few um, strange years where it was significantly more successful for some reason. That's kind of where things are falling. And, you know, is, is, is that really a fair way for a team to fight back into a game? Right, gimmicky, and this is, we'll talk about in a minute. That's the best, I think that's the best piece of analysis on the onside kick issue that I've always, I've always sort of had in the back of my head, is there's not a whole lot, and I hate to say this because I think kickers are an extremely important part of the game, and I'm not casting aspersions on the kicking position, but an onside kick has a lot to do with the way the ball bounces, it has a lot to do with things that are out of most people's control. A 4th and 15 play has to be extremely precisely calculated and executed, which is different than an onside kick. And so ultimately what we see a lot when they're not converted, they're not converted because the team didn't execute properly. They're not converted because of some ridiculous gust of wind or the way the ball bounced or it went out of bounds or it didn't. I like, agree. And it's just, it's a, I think it's a missed opportunity. And I think a fourth and 15 or maybe make it fourth and 20 if they're not comfortable, but some kind of actual traditional play, I think makes it much more interesting. And it puts it much more on the hands of the people on the field, which... I think ultimately makes the game more interesting. In terms of the percentages, I just I found uh, Batista's article that we had initially referenced. The aggregate of the last two years, the success rate was ten and a half percent. And the reason there's been so much push to make a change is because before that, um, from 2013 to, uh, to 2017, before they made rule changes to make the kickoff safer, which affected the onside kick and made the percentage so much lower, it was above 16 percent which is more the range they want for this um, ability to come back play, whatever they decide it's eventually going to be. And the 4th and 15s were above 26%. So the owners were saying it's just far too too high. You know, we went through the merits of that. But in terms of some saying it's too gimmicky, I think that that's a cop-out a cop-out answer. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Because what's what's gimmicky? It's it's another play. It's not it's it's not gimmicky at all. I don't think in any way. I th- I agree. I completely I think that it's uh, an easy way for people to, to say, "Oh, it's it's tainting the game, or it's or it's making the game silly, or whatever it might be." No, it's it's not. That's that's you not wanting to make a decision 
So you're calling it it's crafty, but in all the right ways. I don't think that it's I agree. Gimmicky implies that it's somehow negative, and and as Nick said, sort of um, marring the NFL shield, so to speak. And I don't agree with that at all. I think anything that makes the game more interesting and increases viewership in a way that stays somewhat true to the roots of the game. Which I mean, this isn't some crazy wild one-off play that only happens. In fact, you could make the argument that the onside kick is gimmicky. Like, where else do we see a play like that at all? Like, it's very bizarre. The only thing that makes it not gimmicky is how traditionally it's been in the game. So the other initiative that owners didn't pass was the Sky Judge initiative. Um, Owners decided instead to pass a rule that will give the referee more opportunity to talk to the booth replay assistant. The on-field referee still holds the final say, and he must initiate contact with the replay assistant. Uh, The competition community was worried about taking the final authority on calls away from the on-field referee. Um, They're going to actually trial this new rule during the preseason, after which the competition committee will probably be asked for input from the refs. I think that this was handled really well um, by the owners. I think that to sort of go halfway... And to try it out this year may take us towards the Sky Judge Initiative, may never do that. But I think anything that, um, as I said before, makes the game a little bit more cohesive, a little more efficient, and a little more true to what's happening on the field is positive. So I have no issue with this, guys. Did you have any other take? No, I'm, I'm in the same boat. And I actually appreciate the fact that they're bringing in the refs and their opinions on it too, right? Because I think, you know, if we're going to make rule changes like this, the refs need to also be involved in the conversation because, you know, they're also they're on the field, right? You know, these owners who are making the decisions are up at a skybox watching, so they can only see one thing uh, or, or two things, right? The refs have to, the refs need to be more involved. So I actually, I agree that it's the right approach to kind of do that have sees, we'll see how it works kind of thing. Uh, and to then come back and say, all right, refs, what did you think about this, uh, this process? What are your thoughts on the overall um, idea of it? So I think that's a, I think this is a totally fine compromise. I'm happy that there's some change, that they're moving in some direction. I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated because fans for so long, especially over the past couple of years with all the, the, the issues around pass interference and the one year where we had like a billion holding calls in the first half of the season, they had to change that rule um, mid-season. I'm frustrated because the one thing that fans have always asked for is a little bit more transparency and a little bit more understanding of what's actually going on in the referee situation during the game. You know, after the game, we always get these sort of like half-assed explanations as to what the uh, uh, as to what the calls were and what they were made. You know, you see these these ref analysts come on on NFL Network or on ESPN. You see Alberto Riveron, who's the the head of officiating, come on and try to explain the process and the in, the analysis for the rule. I think having the sky judge system where you are able to hear the conversation between the ref and the sky judge, which is what the XFL did. Or, uh, or maybe it was the um, the AAF, one of those two, one of the two leagues that came up there. It was brilliant, and fans were loving it. I don't understand why. I don't really understand why they haven't decided to move forward with a similar proposal to increase transparency so that fans understand what's going on. Because that's been one of the major complaints about about the NFL in general over the past couple of years has been this issue with transparency in in the referee field. Um, I saw I saw in one piece of analysis on this rule that after the sweeping change they made for pass interference that failed miserably and they had to repeal this year. They were worried about making another sweeping change to the referee process, but this seems like a no-brainer to me, and I'm just not sure why they're not moving in that direction. I mean, I hear what you're saying, um, but obviously I think they're, 
you already said it, right? They're they're hesitant to make those changes because obviously the pass interference thing was <laughs> could have could have gone worse if we're really being honest. So you know, if we consider that the NFL is still tr- is trying to not have that happen again, I understand where they're coming from in kind of building towards an, another major change in officiating as opposed to just dropping one on us and then it's spectacularly failing again. So I agree. I think it's a good step. Obviously, I don't think it's enough. They they there need to be changes to officiating and transparency. I think you're 100 percent right. And I but I totally get it that they're taking kind of like baby steps based on last year's debacle. Do you think it's a fair comparison to the pass interference situation? I mean, the pass interference uh, challenging proposal. I mean, that had like a flaw from day one, and that pass interference is a subjective subjective penalty. There, there really is no perfect one-off answer as to what constitutes a pass interference um, that you could say, okay, that is, that isn't, that is, that isn't a pass interference. I don't know if this is necessarily... I I get the hesitancy in terms of sweeping change that failed and they don't want to make another sweeping change, but it was a very different sweeping change that they were looking to do. That's why I found that, again, to be sort of a cop-out answer, like, oh, we made a change and and it didn't work out so well, so we don't want to make another change anymore. I mean, that's... That's a useful right. progress. I don't. I don't think the sky judge thing is going to have nearly as big of a negative impact as the pass interference rule. But again, if you're thinking from the NFL perspective, we passed a sweeping change last year. It bombed in every way imaginable. Uh, let's take it slow with this one to make sure that it's the right thing to do. And and again, listen, I think next year it will be right. It'll be passed and it'll be over and and you know it'll it'll all look good. But I I, I really understand where the NFL is coming from. Oh crap! We screwed up big time last year. Let's not let's not jump into anything again. So there was a, one initiative that turned out to be a yes. Um, now teams can have three players on injured reserve instead of two. That doesn't sound like such a big change, but I think that at the very late, like I don't I don't see any negative byproduct of this. I think that if if a team feels as though they want to keep a player on the roster, but that player isn't suited to play. I think that it provides them with that flexibility. I, I don't really have anything more on that. I don't think that it's super... I, I certainly don't think it's really super positive or negative one way or another. Um, oh, you know what? I'm, it's, it's being modified by Justin now. I'm, I'm seeing that the rule is actually that three injured reserve players can return to the roster instead of two. It was my bad. Um, that's okay. Shoot. No, but the truth of the matter is, is that... that it again. It's it's not. It's certainly not negative. I think it's positive in that you can keep your star players on the field if you've put them on IR early in the season. Um, guys, do you have anything else that you want to say on that? No, I think it's a good thing. I, I think it's totally yeah. fine because listen, it, it's football. Guys are going to get hurt, <laughs> so yep. having that flexibility is totally fine. I see no no issue with that. It's it's only a positive. You have some guys who get injured. Right. They have like five or six week injuries, and the team's like, "Listen, we can't afford to use up that roster spot to let them sit in rehab for six weeks." So we put them on injured reserve, and they run out of return um, return spots, and then that player can't play the rest of the year. So to have one more player able to come back after a sort of middle tier injury as opposed to a long term one is is only a positive. Yeah, I see yeah, no negative players. whatsoever with that. I don't know who would argue against it. Okay, now we get to what is generally the meat of our conversation on Mondays, although I have to say this around the gridiron was was much more detailed than I expected it to be. We're on week five of our divisional breakdown series. We're talking AFC West this week. And, you know, Nick, Justin, and I were talking in the pre-show about just how competitive the league is. I mean, we've gone through now four divisions, 
And with the exception of the AFC East, albeit a little bit sadly, I admit, the divisions in the NFL this year, like the parity we're seeing in the league, is pretty exceptional. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not spoiling anything here, uh, that trend is going to continue. So we're going to start out in Denver. Uh, Justin is going to start us off with, as we always do, some notable additions, notable losses, and just a little bit of overall in-depth analysis on the team at hand. So just take us away with the Broncos to start. I'm really excited about the Broncos for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, growing up over the past you know two decades or so of football, as, as I've grown up, and you know, not being a fan of Tom Brady because he plays for or played for so long a division rival of my Miami Dolphins, my sort of the the hero at the quarterback position I really liked and looked up to was Peyton Manning. And so when Peyton moved to Denver and was obviously successful there, I became sort of a, a pseudo Broncos fan as my second team. Um, and so I'm really excited to see uh, that they look to be trending in the right direction yet again. I loved the Broncos draft. I think it was uh, when we talked about our favorite draft classes a couple weeks back, the Broncos were my number one or number two pick for the best draft. They just, they they had a plan going in and they stuck to it. They picked Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler in rounds one and two to give Drew Locke some more talent. They picked Lloyd Cushenberry in round three to give him more protection. And then they picked, and I'm going to butcher this name, Albert Okwegbunam, Okwegbunam, I think. Uh, tight end, who was Drew Locke's uh, teammate, um, they picked him in round four. And so Drew Locke now has all of the weapons at his disposal to really make this a re- an exciting offense. As long as he's doing the right things, all the weapons are there to help him, and the offensive line protection is there too. Um, they picked up Graham Glasgow in free agency to give him an uh, extra help at guard. And I really liked what they did in free agency as well, and it was mostly not necessarily through signings, although Melvin Gordon as a pickup was definitely another weapon for him. But I really like the trades they made because the Broncos lost a couple of guys who had been real key contributors on the defense for the past couple of years. And Chris Harris and Shelby Harris, they lost them in free agency. And then they trade for Jarrell Casey and A.J. Boye. And, like, they're they're essentially not losing anything in that situation. Jarrell Casey, I think, is even a better player, although um, definitely a veteran at this point um, towards the back nine of his career than Shelby Harris. And A.J. Boye, maybe not quite at Chris Harris's level, but when, as we all know, when the when the Jaguars had Boye and, and Jalen Ramsey at the same time over in Jacksonville, that was the best cornerback duo in the league. So there's really not much to not like about this Broncos offseason. And if there's any team, especially in this division, but if there's any team, even I'd say in the AFC, that's going to be taking a step that, uh, next year into that playoff caliber contender type situation, I think it's Denver. I'm, I'm really high on this team. You know, Denver had, uh, you, you detailed it very nicely. They had a great offseason, um, you know, filling in a lot of different holes, uh, especially when it comes to the defensive side of things. They they improved significantly defensively on what was a pretty decent defensive unit. I think they were ranked 10th uh, defensively last season. So that's, you know, adding a lot of these other players on the defensive side of the ball is only going to help Vic Fangio and that defense he's trying to build there. I, I, I think... You know, you've already highlighted the biggest question mark is will Drew Locke make that next step? Will Drew Locke continue to be successful? He was lights out when he came in uh, at the end of the season last year and played some football. I think he went four and one right as a starter. But if you look at who he played against, uh, you know, obviously you have to take everything with a grain of salt. If you look at who he played against, right, he, he was playing against, you know, the the Chargers, the Raiders, he got beat up by the Chiefs, you know. So these, it's not like he was competing, uh, you know, against 
the better teams out that were out there at the time. Um, so the question is, is he going to be able to do that with tape on him, right? We saw the same thing with Daniel Jones when he started out the year last year. Before there was really any tape on what he was able to do, you know, he was playing great football. Now there's tape on him, and then we saw how that kind of tailed off. So the question, of course, has to be, it's the Drew Locke question, right? Is with, with opponent uh, opposing teams having tape on him, is he going to make that next step? He has the weapons. There's no denying that. He has the team. He has the defense. It's just him. It's all on him and whether or not he can make that step. We've seen it time and time again where guys going from their first year of moderate success take a drastic step back, right? And we saw that happen over the course of the year with Daniel Jones. We saw it happen with Baker Mayfield, right? We saw it happen with a variety of different quarterbacks. So it's it's all on Drew Locke for this team to be successful. And the expectations were were much lower last year for those four or five games. Like, they we're throwing this rookie in. You know, Joe Flacco's hurt. He's not playing. We just need someone to play these games, and hopefully Drew Locke is somewhat successful. And now the expectations are going to be much higher, not only because he's going into his second year, and John Elway, the general manager, has talked him up and said, we found our guy, finally, and he has to live up to those expectations. But now there aren't really a ton of excuses either. He's not a rookie. The weapons are absolutely there in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and Noah Fant and Melvin Gordon. That's a really strong offensive team. The line is there. The defense to complement is there. Now it's really on Drew Locke as to whether or not this team will be successful. So I'm looking at our topic sheet on Google Docs for today, and I'm looking over Justin's analysis of the Broncos, which was masterful, by the way. And I'm looking that it takes up 90% of the page. And the other 10% is my team, which is the Chiefs, who have done very little this offseason for good reason in two categories. Number one, because there wasn't much for them to do, and number two, because they had very little cap space. Um, But a couple of notable additions to touch on real quick. They drafted in the first round LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as if they needed more offensive weaponry. I mean, this just shores up a backfield that was already... Um, pretty strong and powerful. They also opted to keep Damian Williams at the running back position, so just really ensuring that there's a lot going on behind Patrick Mahomes. They also franchise-tagged interior defenseman, uh, what is it, Chris Jones, um, who was last year one of the top 10 pass rushers and actually has been one of the top 10 pass rushers for, I think, all four of his seasons in the NFL. He actually owns if my memory serves me right, the second best grade um, only behind Aaron Donald in the last couple of years. They lost Kendall Fuller at the cornerback position, and they lost Emmanuel Ogba, um, but who was sort of supplemented then by their draft of Michigan defensive end Michael Donna uh, with the number 177th overall pick. This is, this is a team that has to overcome, in my opinion, nothing other than history. We have not seen a team, or we've really only seen two teams make it back to the Super Bowl after winning a Super Bowl the year prior, and we haven't seen either of those teams win. This is a team that really only stands in its own way. When we talk about competition in the AFC, we mention names like the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens are probably like the most popular team to talk about in terms of their competition, and there's some stiff competition in the NFC too. We talk about teams like the Saints, we talk about potentially the Buccaneers, or the Packers, there's a bunch of competition here. But this is a team that is so loaded on offense and really made up for what they were lacking defensively a couple of years ago in the past year. There's not much for them to do. And I I don't know, man. I'm looking at a picture of Travis Kelsey holding the Vince Lombardi trophy, 
on like the Super Bowl stage, and the look in his eye is nothing short of he's just so so thrilled. And I know these players want to get back to the Super Bowl. I think that part of what happens, um, and this is not to armchair psychoanalyze for a long time. This is just you know my own quick take. I think that it's complicated and difficult when you're coming off of that Super Bowl win to remain as hungry. I don't think that's a problem that's going to plague this team because there's so much talent on this roster, especially at the quarterback position. We haven't seen a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes ever, and that's not to say that he's going to be the greatest of all time or the best of all time, but the eye test has shown us, I think we can all agree, that he is one in a million. And I think that with him leading the charge, I I think with what they've done this offseason... I don't know what anybody's going to do to stop them. I really, really don't, barring injury, of course, knock on wood. So I just, I don't know, guys. I love what they did in the offseason, mostly because they didn't lose anybody that was particularly important, because they didn't have to pay Patrick Mahomes yet, which would have caused them to lose somebody, right? So this year, really, in terms of the window of how they're able to pay people, I think they have all of the pieces in play to make another run. Yeah, I hundred percent. The, the <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you know, we talk about you. You alluded to it a little bit. We talked about the how you know this division is incredibly um, competitive. Outside of the Chiefs, the Chiefs they didn't lose anybody. They didn't have to add anybody. They're I think they're basically the exact same team, and that's a team that just won a Super Bowl. Obviously, they were cons- you know uh, kind of stuck with their cap situation. They really couldn't bring anybody in, but. Um, there, there's nothing to say the Chiefs won't repeat it next year, unless unless something crazy happens, like there's an outstanding injury or something like that, or or Baltimore does something great, or whoever it might be. You know, they have to be the favorites going in because they're bringing the whole band back. To you know, it's it, that and that means a lot in the NFL. That the, having that um that consistency means a lot. You, you said it perfectly there in that. This is a competitive division, but not in the same way of some of the other divisions we've looked at. Like the NFC North, that's a competitive division because almost every team in that division could make a reasonable case for potentially going for a division crown. The teams that are competitive in this division are all competitive because they could potentially make the playoffs, but no one's winning this division besides the Chiefs. I mean, again, like you both have said, barring injury, it's just not happening. So it's competitive because those other three teams, the Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders, could potentially all fight for a wildcard spot, but I don't think anyone... Is, 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 I mean, no one's foolish enough to say that the Chiefs are not winning this division again. And probably for, you know, nine out of the ten next years, as long as Patrick Mahomes is, is playing quarterback. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, other teams are going to try and make runs at the I don't know if anyone's going to really make a run at the Chiefs. I think we're talking about who's going to fill in that second void, right? And we, and exactly. you know, there, you can make the argument for the, uh, the Broncos. You can make the, you can make the arguments for the, any of the other teams in the AFC West. Um, but I think the Chargers, are an interesting team to look at because of the overhaul that they've had over last over the off season. Uh, they had an incredible free agency, right? For for a lot of reasons, they they cut a lot of players that I think were actually holding the team back, right? I think getting rid of Philip Rivers, right, or letting Philip Rivers walk really was actually a really good thing for this team because as good as Philip Rivers has been, it looked that hurts as my though, heart to hear you say it, that. It, I agree it, with you, but it hurts my heart. It does because Philip Rivers has been one of those guys who you everyone's kind of just rooted for him because you everyone's always wanted him to win, especially in the AFC East. They and once Peyton Manning left, everyone was like, "Come on, Philip, somebody take down Brady. You're the guy to take down Brady and the Patriots." And he just never was able to do that. And you know they gave him enough opportunities. They had a pretty good team around him last year. And they weren't able to do anything. So I think getting rid of Phillip Rivers and kind of starting fresh is really good for this franchise. I think also getting rid of Melvin Gordon is going to do great things for them. Uh, obviously, it's not good for the Chargers that he went to the 
uh, to a division rival. But I think for for L.A., it's important because he was I, I, he was a headache last year, whether we want to say it or not. I think he was a little bit of a headache last year. So uh, getting rid of him is something that I think will be beneficial uh, for the team. They also shirt up their offensive line, right? The Chargers brought in Brian Balaga. They brought in uh, Trey Turner from via the trade. They re-signed um, Austin Eckler, which I think is a really big deal. They also brought in Chris Harris. They brought in Linval Joseph, a couple of good players who can help them on the defensive side of the ball. And, and this was like, like a middle of the pack defense that can only get better. Um, and then, of course, you talk about some of the, the draft picks that they had, right? Um, I'll, I'll talk about Herbert in a second, but bringing in Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma in the first round, I think, was a wonderful choice uh, because he's one of those linebackers who's, you know, really can, he can move, he can run, he's, he's very explosive. I think he's really going to help them out. They've still got that same defense, not the same, but they've still got a very powerful uh, defensive line with uh, Melvin Ingram and with uh, uh, Joey Bosa. You know, they, they can get after opposing quarterbacks. I think the Chargers are in a really good spot. And then now you have Justin Herbert sitting there, right? Obviously, their, their first pick in the first round. Herbert, a guy who many people were very, very high on. I wasn't necessarily one of them, but many people were very high on him. I, I think I think that this team has a really good future ahead of them. And I think Tyrod Taylor, uh, you know, we were talking about it before we started recording. I don't understand why Tyrod Taylor is so hated in the NFL, how so many people are just willing to kind of throw him away. Uh, because I think he's a quality, he's not the greatest quarterback in the league, but I think he's a good quarterback. And I think with this team, you know, with Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, this Hunter Henry, this team can score a lot of points. And with that pass rush, I think they're going to do a lot of damage in this division. Nick, I was just looking at the, at our topic sheet to, you know, to prepare for, to talk to you about the Chargers. And then I'm talking about the Raiders next. And then I come back to zoom and Trevor's just, Trevor's gone. Yeah, Trevor, has Trevor left is, is gone. The I don't know where he went. We're, we'll, we'll just um, have to carry on with Adam for a moment until our <laughs> until our host incredible. until our host makes it back here. Oh, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. If this is our first YouTube video, we talked about how we might upload this on YouTube. That'll be that'll be a wonderful a wonderful way to Sorry, start. I need to find some water. The YouTube. My career. throat was scratchy. That's all right. That's all right. We were I just talking about the Chargers. Glad you could glad you can make it back. The Chargers, as as Nick as Nick was just saying. I, I I like I like everything about this team, but I liked everything about this team last year. I really did. I thought this was going to be a team that was potentially making a playoff run, and it just didn't happen. And of course, injuries were part of that. A lot of key guys went down. But uh, I'm just I'm hesitant to to put you know everything behind this Chargers team because it's been a couple of years now where we thought things were going to be put together, and now they're not. And I agree, Tyrod Taylor is far more looked over than he should be. I don't understand why. Like you said, that uh, another team hasn't given him given him a starting shot since his um, since his run with the Bills when they made the playoffs. I know there was a little bit well, of a, Cleveland, a tank Cleveland in Cleveland, gave him yeah, like exactly. Four games, but and that, and it but... wasn't enough, and it wasn't a great team. Like, what, what did you expect him to do there? Uh, you know, right. not a whole lot. And so I, I think he. Should, I'm glad he's getting another starting shot, but I don't know how much of an upgrade he is over last year's Philip Rivers. To be totally honest, I mean, Philip Rivers is certainly on the back nine. Um, but circling hole eighteen, as we ha- say, Rivers had a lot of yards last year, but he didn't have the greatest his greatest season by any stretch of the. No, the he was too reckless with the right? football, and he was turning it over too much. Twenty three touchdowns, twenty interceptions. Exactly. You know, that's For that's sure. a lot of turnovers. But I'm still not, and that's that's one thing that Tyrod Taylor certainly holds over a lot of quarterbacks. He's never had a season with, I don't think with more than six picks. He's very careful with the football, which is what this right. this Chargers team might need. 
I'm excited about the addition of Linval Joseph. I'm excited about the wait. Wait, hold on. We need to stay at the quarterback. We need to stay at the quarterback position for one second, sure. Because I need to bring it up as we bring it up every podcast. We've got to talk about Superman just for a second. We have Tyrod Taylor under center with the Chargers. I'm just curious. Just no, he's not going to the Chargers. I know he's not. Just real quick though, if you were the Chargers with the team currently constructed, are you happier with Tyrod Taylor or in an alternative universe where Cam's on the Chargers? Are you more confident in that team? I mean, just for in fun. an alternative right. universe. Um, All I, things I staying equal with those two guys separated Just out. swapping out Newton with Taylor. Yeah, exactly. I think then, I think then yes, the, the Chargers would be a little bit better off because I think Newton is okay. better as a quarterback than Tyrod Taylor is. And again, I'm not trying to knock Tyrod Taylor because I actually think he's better than people say, but I think Newton is just a better player overall. Um, cool. So I, I think if Newton was on this team, you know, it would it would change things. But I don't see that happening, especially now. No. I don't see it happening. No, but, um, I agree. Yeah, if, you know, if we're existing, we've got to bring universe. him up. We have to bring him up every time. I well, mean, that's why it's, we it's, it's our weekly Cam Newton. Cam Newton watch. I think. Exactly. I think if if this whole situation with COVID nineteen hadn't happened, I think Cam may, may have made it to the Chargers. But because they couldn't evaluate his his foot, his shoulder, and everything else. By the time we got to the the draft, they had picked a quarterback, and now they're looking towards the future, and they don't really need Cam right. Newton anymore. So maybe he's, it would have happened. He's not going to play knows? for the Chargers. No, uh, certainly not anymore. I'd be no. shocked. Certainly not no. anymore. Uh, so, so now we move on to the the fourth team here. We have we have the uh, the now Las Vegas Raiders, who are going to open up in their new stadium. Uh, hopefully, everything uh, you know has run smoothly there with the construction, given COVID nineteen and everything. I think there's still a little bit of question as to whether or not they'll open there, but opening in that new stadium with a whole brand new look offense. Um, the Raiders drafted Henry Ruggs in round one, a little bit of a head scratcher to everyone, given the fact that Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb were still on the board. Then they drafted Damon Arnett uh, with their second pick in round one. Again, a head scratcher because there seemed to be better cornerbacks on the board, but Mike Mayock seems to like picking players who no one expects. I really liked their pick of Lynn Bowden in round three. Um, I think this is one of those do-everything type weapons that you bring onto the field who can play wide receiver, who could play running back. Um, and so I think that, that that'll be a guy that we see touching the ball quite a bit as a rookie. Going into free agency, I really liked what the Raiders did on defense. Um, Corey Littleton was a far too much overlooked linebacker with the Rams. One of those guys who was routinely racking up hundreds of plus tackles, um, who was just a really reliable player who was also able to cover in the passing game. And so I like the move of bringing in Corey Littleton. They also brought in, and I'm going to butcher another name here, Nick Kwiatkowski. K-W, uh, Nick K. I'm going to call him Nick K for a three-year uh, three deal as well. They brought him in from the Bears. So that linebacker unit should be much better than it was last year. A Raiders defense str- that struggled quite a bit last year. We'll have some reinforcements here. They bring in Marcus Mariota. Interesting move. Definitely now one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm not really expecting him to play at all, um, unless Derek Carr absolutely tanks and then they decide to bring him in. Maybe he's looking for that same career resurgence that Ryan Tannehill took from him uh, in Tennessee. The Jason Witten addition was almost like a feel-good move. Jason Witten gets to play again another year. I don't see Jason Witten playing a whole lot. They have Darren Walder, who played excellently last year. Um, and then they added some more reinforcements on the defense in Carl Nassim and Demarius Randall, a couple guys that'll be... Uh, some role players there for the Raiders. Didn't lose a whole lot of guys either. It was Carl Joseph at safety and, and Daryl Worley at cornerback. That's really it um, in terms of, of notable losses for guys who are leaving uh, major voids on this team. 
uh, the real question here is whether or not they can make a leap with Derek Carr at quarterback. Carr has been one of those middle-tier guys pretty much his whole career, save for that one playoff run where uh, he broke his leg right before the playoffs. So whether or not he could be the guy that brings them over the edge and whether or not John Gruden could bring that out of him. There's been there's been tension there for Gruden's whole tenure as the Raiders coach um, over the past couple of years as to whether or not he wants Carr as his guy. He didn't bring in anyone to really take that spot from him, save for Marcus Mariota, who I don't think will be taking that spot. Um, so this is this is just, it's it's almost like what we talked about with the Broncos as to where it's on the quarterback to make the move to bring this team to new heights. The only difference here is we've seen a lot from Carr already, and we're not, I'm, I'm pretty convinced already that he's a guy who is as good as his supporting cast. With a great supporting cast like he had a couple of years ago, he had a stellar O-line, he could really do some great things. Um, but... The, the guys they brought in, in, uh, in Henry Ruggs and in, um, in Lynn Bowden and, and Brian Edwards in round three, they have to pan out uh, here for, for, for Carr to be successful, at least in my opinion. So I, I completely agree. I think Carr is the, is the key to all of this. And, you know, I, it, that's like, honestly, it's how it is for most <laughs> NFL teams. It's always the quarterback yeah, is key. That's true. Uh, but I, I do think we need to talk a little bit about Gr- that Gruden-Carr relationship because, uh, you know, especially last year when we saw everything on Hard Knocks, they looked great, but they uh, they looked like they got along, but it didn't seem like it was perfect. And it, and throughout the course of the year, and, and like you said, Gruden's time there, it just doesn't seem like that's been the perfect match. And that's why I think the the – the Mariota signing is actually more interesting than I think people think because if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Gruden was very high on Mariota when he came out of college a few years ago. Um, so I, I think there's a lot there, and I I wouldn't be surprised if Gruden, you know, has uh, Carr on a very very short leash. Although I think Carr had a better year last year than people think, right? Because the Raiders didn't do great, um, which I think is another testament to is Gruden the answer at the coaching spot? They they paid him a bajillion dollars, so he better provide some answers in the near future. Um, but Carr's year last year was pretty good. Uh, over a 70% completion rating, uh, over the 4,000 yards, uh, over a hundred passer rating. He, he had a good year. It's just the team didn't win. So I, I don't know if, if they're not winning, but Carr has a good year. Do you make that switch to Mariota? If you're John Gruden, who doesn't seem to be that attached to Derek Carr, I think it depends on the reasons they're not they're not winning. I mean, the defense was was what really heavily held this team back last year. Like you said, Carl oh, wasn't that sure. bad. The offense wasn't that bad. And in terms of the defense itself, they did add a couple players who, if they pan out, this defense could be a lot better. Those two linebackers in in Littleton For and sure. Nick Kay. The uh, the Damon Arnett pick. If Arnett contributes as a rookie, if he does what I'm sure Mayock is hoping he can do. That secondary is not all that bad either, and they brought in Demarius Randall, who's who's a a solid um, a solid rotational safety as well, and Carl Nassib I think could could certainly is one of those guys who is in the middle tier of, about of edge rushers. Yeah, that so just not necessarily with David Arnett specifically, but Mike Mayock, as we as you touched on in the intro of this segment with the Raiders, has made a few head scratching picks. You had Cleveland Farrell last year that I remember most specifically. Then you have Rugs this year, and David Arnett now. Contract notwithstanding, if these guys, let's say these guys don't pan out the way we're thinking they would, because there were clearly guys on the board that were much more obvious picks that would you probably even call safer picks for a GM to make. How long is the leash here? I mean, Mike Mayock is obviously extremely well-respected and well-revered, both in the broadcasting community and now in the NFL GM community. But there have been some very strange picks that we've seen, and we've even heard of some discord 
between what Gruden wants and what Mayak wants, and it's been a little complicated. How do we see, obviously we know Gruden's contract is this albatross-level contract, and he's going to be there for a long time, uh, at least most likely. What do we see in terms of Mayak's future with this team if if these picks that were a little bit unconventional don't pan? I mean, in his, in his inaugural draft class, Cleveland Farrell was a head-scratching pick, but then Josh Jacobs was almost rookie of the year. Um, Jonathan Abram was doing great things till he got hurt. Um, at least like, he didn't play very long. I think he only played in a couple of games or, or right in the beginning of the season, but he was playing well until he got hurt. Max Crosby was a good find for them in the fourth round. I'm, I'm looking at that draft class now. He was a and, steal um, for them in that because he had, he had 10 sacks for them last year in the fourth as a fourth rounder. And, and Hunter Renfro in the fifth round contributed 50 catches to them. And even Foster Moreau played a little bit behind Darren Waller. That was a solid draft class. Cleveland Farrell, four and a half sacks. I'm sure that's not what you want from your fourth overall pick. You want more. Um, he was a rookie. We'll see what he can do going forward. Uh, I, I'm pretty excited about what Mayock did with that draft class. This one is a bit of a head-scratcher, mostly because uh, the Damon Arnett pick was the one that really had people scratching their heads because a lot of people had him as a as a back-end second-rounder, and they took him in the middle of the first. Um, but, I mean, listen, Mayock has made a living off of evaluating talent. He's done it from the TV screen for the most part. Now he's in a GM's office. But he's he has a track record from his TV career and even just from last year's draft class of getting a lot of things right. Um, I think you've got to give him a bit of a shot here. You asked how long the leash is. I mean, that's very tied to how Gruden performs. If Gruden can make this team win... Um, I, I think the two of their futures are very much intertwined. They were brought in at the same time. Um, so I, I think that that's, uh, that's really what, what it'll be, what will be the indicator as to whether or not it, it comes down to wins at the end, right? So uh, at least a couple more years, I'd say. I'd say two years. I give them both two years. If they can't if they turn around playoffs, significantly, yeah, if they don't make the playoffs in the next two years, then they're gone. It's certainly not after this year, especially with the money. Especially I agree. with the money that was I paid agree. to Gruden and the rookies that performed well last year. I think Mayock has at least uh, another year after this one if they don't make the playoffs. Um, going into the rankings, like we all, I think we all know, Chiefs are at the top of, of all of our rankings. Spoiler alert. I um, yeah. Like I said, I'm pretty high on, on the Broncos. I have the Broncos at two. All three of the next of the all three of these spots after the Chiefs, you could argue them any which way, and I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. I'm pretty high on the Broncos. Um, I'm really excited to see if Drew Lock could take that next step. If he does, I think this is clearly the next team. Um, but again, that's if he makes that that next step. And the reason is because that defense, like Nick said, was top ten. The offense is stacked. Um, so if Drew Lock takes that next step, and I'm guessing uh, here that that he'll be good enough. Um, to potentially push them to a playoff run. I have them at two. I have the Chargers at three and the Raiders at four. You could pretty much flip-flop those, but I believe more in the overall state of the Chargers roster right now than I do the Raiders. There are too many question marks, and they had too many rookies to fill major roles for me to put them ahead of the Chargers right now. Yeah, I. Uh, I so the Chiefs obviously number one. The Raiders, in my opinion, are also at the bottom. Uh, and I'm what I would do is I would just flip those two teams that you have there in the middle. I think the Chargers are going to be good next year. I think that they can get out to the quarterback, which is uh, part of the part of the way that you're successful, especially the way the league is now. Uh, I think that they could do a lot of damage to everybody in their division with that pass rush that they have uh, in LA. They are 
they know how to they know how to sack the quarterback and put the and to put that pressure on. Um, I don't think they're going to overtake the Chiefs, um, but I, I I just think I think that I feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit, and that's not a lot, a little bit more comfortable with Tyrod Taylor, who has proven he can he can win somewhat consistently when given the shot. Uh, over Drew Locke, who we still we know can be good and was great at the end of last year. We just don't know what it's going to be like with him having a full year under center. I hope Drew, this is not a knock against Drew Locke. I hope he does well. Um, but it, I just I feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, with Tyrod Taylor, and that's why I think I would put um, the Chargers slightly above the Broncos. But I will say that with the expanded playoff format, I would not be surprised if we get three playoff teams out of the AFC West. So Nick and I have exactly the same order and exactly the same analysis, as a matter of fact. So I have the Chiefs number one, Chargers number two, Broncos number three, and Raiders number four. I can totally see three teams making the playoffs from this division. And I I would go so far as to say I'm pretty high on Tyrod Taylor. I think he's shown sort of flashes of bubble perennial starter caliber quarterback in this league. And I think with a team around him as a relatively mobile guy somebody who can sling the ball and who's careful with the ball, as we said, I think, what, no more than six picks per season in his career. I think that's going to be just what the Chargers needed. And I actually think that, you know, I like the idea of had Cam Newton gone to the Chargers. I think that's a nice thing in theory. But I think Tyrod is going to pan in a way that people might not necessarily be expecting. I would definitely watch out for this Chargers team this year. Uh, But I think the Chiefs are going to win it all again. Uh, I don't think it's any even question of that. That's all we have for this week in terms of football, guys. Obviously, as you know, we're going to get to our wild card question of the week. And this one is this one's a relatively easy one. Um, as we know, quarantine, fortunately, in some places, but specifically in South Florida, is ending or at least getting modified in the next few days. I know most people are super excited to get back out and go have their favorite restaurant kind of food. So I would love you guys to just pick for me what's the first thing you guys are really excited to go out and uh and munch on (laughs) um as this quarantine comes to an end so i am going to take some artistic liberty and i'm going to modify your question because the quarantine actually hasn't stopped me from eating the majority of food that i would have gotten anyway because i just get it delivered to me uh but the one thing I'm super excited to do just in general when the quarantine lifts and I feel pretty good about things is get a haircut. For the love of God, I want to get a haircut. So I'm going to – I'm getting all the food I, I generally need in, in a lot of – yeah, it's kind of showing a little bit. But I'm getting it all in this quarantine. I'm going to take a tad bit of artistic liberty as well only because, um, Trevor, as you know, uh, as – the two of us are brothers. We've had uh, a lot of takeout and, and delivery as well from some of our favorite places. So, But I'm still going to say on the, on, the, on the food track here, um, I'm going to go like movie theater popcorn. I really miss going to the one. movies. I um, I mean, as, as both of you know, I'm a huge movie fan. Um, I uh, That's like my favorite weekend activity. And I really miss movie theater popcorn, which you really can't get authentic movie theater popcorn from anywhere else but a movie theater. You, you need that movie theater experience to go along with it. Um, so I'm going to say that, that that's the thing I miss most and something that will probably take just a little bit longer because those are not opening up quite yet, but I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I miss going to the movies, man. I just miss, I don't know. I think, um, I think the idea of being able to be just around other living, breathing, talking humans, although not talking hopefully in a movie, um, I think that that's something that we've all sort of learned to re-appreciate. Um, and so I'm super excited for the world to open back up a little bit. 
but that's yeah, that's all we got for this week. Uh, I always congratulate us on this, but we went over an hour today, which is pretty exciting. Um, we will be posting the results of our divisional breakdown series on our Twitter, so be sure to follow us at Pick Up the Blitz on Twitter. And uh, we'll be with you guys, obviously, on Friday, as always, for Finns Fan Fair Friday, and next Monday for Pick Up the Blitz episode 12. Thank you guys so much for joining us again this week, and we can't wait to see you very, very soon. Take care.